Migraine Canada presents Migraine Talks with Dr. Elizabeth Leroux. A podcast to learn, share, and live better. Please remember, the content of this podcast does not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Discuss all decisions regarding your care and treatment options with your healthcare provider. One of the worst things when you live with migraine is that you feel so alone. I remember describing my situation to my doctor and she looked at me in disbelief. Somehow she seemed to think that it was impossible to have all these symptoms, to struggle so much with migraine. I asked her to see a neurologist, but she said my case was not severe enough to be referred to a specialist. After two years of trying medications that did not work, I had to go on sick leave. I was missing too many days at work. At this point, I asked again for a referral to a neurologist, and this time she agreed. I felt hope. But then, I was told that the waiting time for a headache clinic was close to two years. Two more years of this? I did not know where to turn. Was I the only one in this situation? Why was the waiting list so long? I turned to the internet and found a support group for people with migraine. It changed everything. I connected with people who were going through the exact same thing. Some had symptoms just like mine. Some were also on disability. Some had found ways to get better. I was still struggling, but at least I knew I was not alone. And that made a real difference. In this podcast, we'll talk about support groups and migraine advocacy. Our guest today is Maya Carvalho. Maya Carvalho is a founder of the Chronic Migraine Support Group Canada, a migraine educator and advocate. She holds a bachelor degree in interior design from the University of Manitoba, as well as an MBA in business strategy from the University of Toronto. Prior to her work in this field, she was a marketing executive for L'Oréal in New York City. She is dedicated to improving the quality of life of Canadians living with chronic migraine by offering educational support, peer support, and advocacy for this debilitating neurological disease. Maya currently lives in Toronto with her husband and puppy. So Maya, welcome to this uh, Migraine Talks podcast. I want to thank you for taking this time to discuss and share your experiences with us today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Luru. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. So let's start, you know, uh, with um, a bit about sub migraine support groups. Um, I often hear from my patients that they feel very alone in their struggles. Um, they seem surprised when I tell them that chronic migraine affects one to 2% of the population and migraine in general is up to 15%. Um, and that I often hear experiences similar to what they tell me on a regular basis. And I, I think there seems to be a sense of relief when you discover you're not the only one going through all that, you know, whatever that might be, the symptoms, the diagnosis, the treatment trials, the failures, side effects. Um, so you are also connected to a community of people with disabling migraine and headaches. So tell, tell us why and how you started this support group. Okay, well, uh, I suffer from chronic migraine myself. I've had it for about 15 years now. 
And a few years ago, I was looking for support groups in Canada for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned. I was looking for some support. I was looking for some validation. I was looking for some information sharing amongst peers in Canada about what was going on within Canada in terms of medications and treatments, what was available, and I couldn't find anything. So I went to the headache centers and hospitals in Toronto, which is where I live, and I asked them if there were any support groups, and there were none at the time. Uh, and they were not able to start any themselves. And so I just decided to do it myself. And uh, that's how uh, the whole thing began. So I decided that the greatest need was for chronic migraine patients. So I started the Chronic Migraine Support Group of Canada. And uh, very quickly the group grew. And the reason for that I believe is because there was such a need there uh, to connect with other patients. Uh, for example, I had never met a person who had chronic migraine in my life. I had met people who had migraine. My sister had migraine, my uncle had migraine, but I had never met somebody who had chronic migraine, which I believe is a very different animal. And so suddenly you have this community of patients talking to each other and really validating each other's experiences. And the feedback that I get the most from the group is that people suddenly feel like they're not alone. It's a very isolating disease because as you know, it's an invisible disease. So most people in the society at large don't really know that you are experiencing it. They only see you sort of when you look well and you look okay. Uh, so it's very isolating and it's something that people carry around privately for the most part. So when they come to a support group and they find out that there are all these other people who are living with this, dealing with it um, and experiencing the same symptoms and the same triggers, uh, as crazy as they may seem, it is really validating for them. Uh, so there's a tremendous amount of relief that they get from that. There's a tremendous amount of emotional support that they get from that. And one of the biggest things is the sharing of knowledge, the sharing of information. So it looks like you've really been trailblazing here and creating something where there was nothing and, uh, and there was a huge need. So, um, so how, when did you start again? When did the group start? The group started at the end of 2018. So it's been a few years now and we have uh, almost 900 members who are all chronic. And so let's say that I'm listening to this podcast and I want to find you, where do I go? You go to Facebook and you put in Chronic Migraine Support Group Canada and you will find us right away. Excellent. So it's, it's interesting because you created that almost at the same time that Migraine Canada got started, right? And yes. I think that there is at present time zero registered charity for migraine in Canada uh, is, is pretty unbelievable. And, and you're absolutely yes. right. Um, I hear that every day from my patients. They feel like they're the only ones when migraine is actually one of their first and the most prevalent disorders in the whole world, according to the World Health Organization. So you started your work and then it just developed, I guess. Is there anything that just changed in your way of managing things or things that you 
you learned uh, along your um, your discovery and and your uh, connections with people online? I learned a lot. I'm really speaking to patients pretty much eight hours a day every day. So um, I, I've really been like a sponge in terms of learning about symptoms and triggers and their pathways in terms of getting treatment. So what I've learned the most is that every single patient is different. <laughs> they have different symptoms, they have different treatments and they respond differently. And although it may seem like a certain situation is never going to improve, the surprising thing is that it can and it does. And that's really, I think the most important thing and the most important thing I do in the group is to encourage people and give them that hope that they may not have because that's what I see all the time is people who are chronic, sometimes refractory, um, and suddenly they will try something new, even though they've tried 20 or 30 things, and that will make a difference in their lives and they'll regain a lot of function. So really the thing I've learned the most is that the number one thing is tenacity. Very interesting. So you mentioned an important point, which is the diversity of migraine, right? Yes. And it's in every aspect. And when I, when I teach about this to my residents or I do media spots, um, everybody's for some reason want to focus on one or two things. And I tell them just at least tell that migraine is diverse. It can be very rare. It can be chronic. You can have triggers, different responses. So I agree fully. And hope, keeping hope is difficult after years of trial. But then sometimes, as you very justly say, I mean, it's all about trying different things. And my impression is that sometimes, you know, healthcare providers and even physicians and even neurologists tend to just give up, right? And say, you know what? There's nothing you can do. I've tried those two or three drugs and you, you didn't respond or even worse, you failed, which is kind of very negative way of saying things. Um, so, you know, people with migraine along their path can meet with different physicians. Um, yes. What, you know, you hear a lot of these stories, I'm sure. Um, yes. What physicians do to help these patients better? And are there things that maybe they should not do? <laughs> yes, I think both those things uh, are true. Uh, the thing, uh, the most um, difficult appointments for patients are when they see their physician and they are told that nothing else can be done for them and they are never going to get better. And that happens more frequently than you can possibly imagine. That is the number one issue I probably deal with in my group is trying to coach patients who have been told this and are just absolutely devastated by this news. Because as you know, it's excruciating pain. And so to be told that you are going to have to live with that for the next 20, 30, 40 years is not something that people can mentally cope with and nor should they have to. So I think there are several things that physicians could do that don't take any more funds, uh, but simply require a, a very minor shift in attitude. Uh, one of those things would be uh, simply the recognition that this field is experiencing a sort of golden age. I think you might agree in terms of research and development. We've never seen this many medications and treatments being developed ever before. 
So we don't know what we don't know. Maybe there isn't something this year that's going to help you, but there might be something coming in the pipeline next year that would be perfect for you. So to say categorically that nothing's going to help you simply isn't true. So the, a better thing for physicians to do would be to say to their patients, I'm at the end of what I can offer you right now. I'm not sure what else I could do to help you. I'm at the end of my toolbox, but I can refer you on to someone else to uh, give your treatment a fresh look um, and see what they can come up with. Uh, or come back and see me in a little bit and we'll have a look at it again. An approach that's a little bit more hopeful would make all the difference in the world. The second thing would be uh, that some patients need a little bit more time, which I understand is, a, is a, a bigger problem. But as you know, once somebody's chronic, five minutes with a neurologist simply can't get at the problems going on. Most of the patients that I speak with have several comorbid issues. Um, all those uh, illnesses need to be dealt with together. And five minutes isn't enough for them to even explain what has happened since the last appointment. So that's a, that's a bit of a problem. They need a little bit more time and they feel very, very rushed. Um, and then finally, I think the there needs to be an understanding, again, I just wanna reiterate this, that um, each patient is different. So if a physician meets a patient and perhaps they haven't heard of that trigger or that symptom, to not dismiss the patient out of hand, tell the patient that they're making it up or it's in their head or they're imagining it, or just give the patient the benefit of the doubt that this could be a trigger that the, that the physician has not come across previously and look into it because I am learning every day about things I didn't know about, triggers I didn't know about, symptoms I didn't know about. There's such a wide array. So there are many things that physicians could do, but the number one thing not to do is tell a patient that they're never going to get better and that there is no hope for them. Thank you for these thoughts. And I can, I can definitely hear how, uh, how much experience and how many stories you must have heard to collect and express this in such a clear way. Um, well, I, I can definitely be in awe that any doctor's appointment should be five minutes long. That this, I don't understand. Uh, my personal, of course, I have the luxury of taking my time. I'm, a, I'm in a private clinic and I do an hour for an assessment and I do 30 minutes for follow-ups. And every assessment comes with usually right? We look over behavioral, acute management, preventive management, comorbidity review. Um, and sometimes it takes time. And sometimes you just cannot rush someone who's crying in your office. I mean, it's, those are very difficult situations. Yes. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, this is an era of novelty, an era of um, new treatments. Uh, the pipeline is, is not empty. There are things coming. So, you know, it's, it, but it's true that managing migraine can be bewildering, especially for the GP when you think about it, because yes. they are not trained a lot about migraine at all. If you compare to hypertension, depression, uh, other things, you know, that they, they learn about. So hopefully we can improve that. So it can be bewildering for the physician to see distress, feel helpless, not know about options, and, uh, and it's, you cannot just use like a quick fix. Often GPs ask me 
you know, what's your go-to? I was like, there's no go-to. You just have to know the full book. So, yeah. you know, everyone has to try. So you have done some important work to put together a resource about the migraine treatments and share it with your community. So can you tell us about the chronic migraine guide? Yes, uh, as I was mentioning before, uh, there used to be groups for uh, Americans who had migraine and, but there was nothing specifically for Canadians. And one of the things I noticed was that through these groups, you could see all the treatments that were available simply by information sharing amongst patients. So what I wanted to do was create something for Canadians that allowed them to see in one place every single thing that was available for chronic migraine in Canada so that they could stop having the frustration of hearing about a drug, but it wasn't available in Canada. So this is a guide that I put together. Uh, I spent a few months doing a lot of research and the idea was to incorporate all the tools for chronic migraine, uh, lifestyle modifications, preventive medications, acute medications, interventional treatments, um, nutritional supplements, complementary therapies, uh, body work, et cetera, as well as nutritional supplements. So the idea is they have it all in one place. And that has really been probably the feedback I get is that that is the greatest tool that my members have. I refer them to it every day. They go, they read it. What they are able to do is very easily check off all the things that they have tried and see in a very visual way uh, all the things that are left on the table that they could still do. And so it turns into a very sort of positive experience for them because they felt that there was nothing left for them to try. But when they see this immense list in front of them and start checking it off, they can see actually there are a few things I haven't tried that are still available for me. Um, and then the other uh, purpose of the guide was to have a discussion tool between patients and their GPs, as you just mentioned, uh, who may not necessarily have all this information about migraine. And the idea was, the hope was that patients could take this in to see their doctors and really have a good discussion about, here are some of the things available. Could you talk me through this? And could we come up with a plan together? As you know, um, a lot of patients in Canada can't get in to see neurologists. There are huge waiting lists across the country. Um, some of those waiting lists are three to four years in some places, two years in other places. So they're really relying on their GPs to guide them through their treatment of their migraines. And you know, where are those GPs going to get this information? <laughs> How are they going to get it? So that was really my goal was to pre create a tool for them. I'm glad to, and I had I had the privilege of working with you on this and and reading, yes. and uh, we had a great time. And actually, it was it's very comprehensive in the format. I have to say, it's, it's actually very uh, easy to browse through. And, and I, maybe, maybe we should actually uh, maybe we should actually share it with GPs at some point a bit more. Yes. Well, what's actually happened is that um, a couple of uh, members from my group have come back to me and said that their GPs have asked for copies to distribute it in their office with the other physicians in their office so that they have a guide. So it's being received fairly well. And I just wanna thank you for vetting it for me and doing your medical review. I really appreciate that. Thank you. All right. It was my pleasure. And 
I think it's, um, remember when, you know, that when, when we doctors go to med school, we are always told about what we call the biopsychosocial model, which is that we should treat disease in all consideration of who the person is uh, in its entirety and not only, you know, oh, migraine, you know, trick A, trick B and check, mm -hmm. check, check and drug, 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 right? But, you know, when you hit the hard truth is that we are extremely busy and GPs are extremely busy and we do not get that much training about yes. such important things like meditation. Okay, manage your stress. How often have you heard that thing? Manage your stress. How on earth do I do that, right? So I think that's such a, such a tool. And uh, let's discuss about more ways to, to spread it out. So I know also that you are very dedicated to structural improvement in the healthcare system. You yes. just mentioned the waiting lists. Um, so at present time, I think it's fair to say that the system does not serve people with migraine and chronic headaches very well, right? Yes. So what are things that, that you think could be improved in Canada regarding uh, headache and migraine care? I think in Canada, we have not yet come to the point where we recognize migraine as a neurological disease. I think we are a few steps away from recognizing it as the World Health Organization has recognized it as, as disabling, as paraplegia and blindness. We do not treat it that way in this country. We treat it as a minor uh, illness that you know, uh, can be mitigated very easily and that's simply not the case. Uh, as you well know. So I think some of the things that are really important are first and foremost, access to medication. So for many of the people that I speak with, they are visiting their neurologists, they are getting treatment plans from their neurologist for what is, again, a neurological disease, but then they cannot follow through with that treatment plan because they can't afford to get the medications they need. So that's a little bit strange to me in one of the richest countries in the world that we would have a society in which people cannot actually afford to get medications that are prescribed, not over the counter, but prescribed. So I think, you know, really eventually we need to move to a national pharmacare plan, but in the time being, we really need to get some of these medications put onto provincial formularies so that people who do not have private insurance can get access to these drugs in one way or another. All the new drugs, as you know, that are coming in that are really exciting, that have made a huge difference in many patients' lives who were refractory, uh, who have gone from 25 migraines a month to perhaps four, which is a huge difference in their quality of life, a huge difference in what they can do for the Canadian economy in terms of getting back to work. Uh, these patients cannot afford these drugs. The drugs are approximately $9,000 a year and they simply can't afford to pay for them out of pocket. So that's a, that's a huge structural change that needs to happen in terms of access to medications. The other one I would say would be um, how patients are treated in ER rooms in Canada. So in Canada, we do not have inpatient headache clinics as they do in the United States, where a patient can go in for five to seven days to get treated for an intractable migraine. So we have no option in Canada for intractable patients other than for them to go to the ER. 
Uh, and I hear time and time again, probably once a day from a patient who has gone to an ER and actually been told that either there's nothing that can be done for them, that they are a drug seeker, or that they simply have to wait. And that's not compassionate care. Again, that's, that's simply not acceptable. We should have training for ER doctors so that I understand that there is a protocol in place, but so that everyone is aware of what those best practices are for migraine patients. Uh, I often hear from patients that the doctors in the ER room simply don't know what are the combination IV meds that would break an intractable migraine. They simply just don't know what they are. So we need to diffuse that information so that more patients are getting help in ER rooms. And then finally, I would say, you know, it's the need for patients to get access to neurologists, but neurologists who are headache specialists. So we need to advocate for more training in headache specialty in Canada um, so that there's, uh, there are more doctors available to Canadian patients. And also that those headache specialists uh, have the correct remuneration so that there's some incentive for neurologists to go into this field. Because I think we have a bit of a problem in Canada with, with keeping neurologists wanting to go into this field. And we have to, it has to be attractive on both ends. Wow, what a structured and, and very, very bang on answer. Um, I, I agree fully with all you say, and I, I think we should do another podcast on each of these aspects, to discuss them in more depth, because it, it's absolutely true. I hear there's uh, from patients access to, I do fill the forms, right, for the adoption yes. of these new therapies, um, and that can be life-changing, and I, I will attest to that. I have seen patients going back to work, and, and we should probably we shouldn't just think about going back to work, but it, it makes a significant impact on, like you say, the economy. We have to talk about money at some point. And I don't understand why some people, you know, like people with multiple sclerosis will benefit from therapies that are $50,000 a year. Nobody will budge. And then you have someone who's bedridden with severe migraine um, that, that, that tries something that works, you know? Yes, if yes. you respond to a drug, it will be stopped. And, uh, and nobody will pay for it anymore. Yeah. You know, so yeah. this is, those are not preventive, like in the sense that they are continued forever, expecting maybe an effect. This right. is kind of a proof is in the pudding approach where you say, okay, let's do it. So yeah, the drugs, the emergency department, uh, or, and, and of course, of course, the um, access to, uh, to uh, experienced and interested neurologists. I mean, it's just crazy to see how migraine is stigmatized for patients, but also for neurologists. Um, academic departments do not support headache. Uh, many academic departments or neurology programs will have an MS, an epilepsy, a Parkinson, a dementia, a neuromuscular, but no headache because it's like, oh, everybody manages headache. Maybe it was true 20 years ago when we had aspirin, but now it, we have so many treatments and if you need the expertise in behavioral approaches, like you very justly said, um, well, we, you need a headache specialist to manage these very complex situations. So thank you for all of that. So Miami, I, I feel like I should just ask you, is there anything else you'd like to share with our people, people who are listening uh, before we conclude this interview? I would just like to share that 
I think there's a tremendous amount of hope in this arena. So I think that is my biggest message for this community. Um, there's a lot of despair. It's a really, really painful, debilitating disease. Uh, you know, again, I just want to point out some people who have chronic migraine, pain is not their number one symptom. As, as you know, they have visual auras and vertigo and all kinds of other debilitating symptoms that are greater for them than pain. But for the majority, pain is the number one symptom. And there's an incredible amount of despair because you're living with it pretty much 24 seven. You're living in this level of pain if you're chronic. Every second day, at least, you have a migraine. So I want to just point out that no matter what anybody tells you about whether or not you're going to get better, whether or not you're going to improve the function in your life, whether or not you're going to improve the quality of your life, I really believe there is a tremendous amount of hope that things can always change and that you never know what is around the corner that's going to make a difference in your life. So just to keep on going and connect with others and we will all get there together. Well, I think that's the exact, that's the perfect way to conclude this interview on a note of hope. And Maya uh, Carvalho, I would like to thank you for discussing with our community today. And I hope to uh, welcome you again very soon to dig deeper maybe in some of those important topics about migraine and headache care. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Leroux. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. We have so many things to improve for headache care in Canada, but the first step is definitely to make a clear and comprehensive list of the problems that we face so we just can address them. Maya's story tells us something about taking things into your own hands. Patients in this country have power because we do have a public healthcare system. We are voters. Migraine is so common, so there is a strength in our numbers. In the end, the way to improvement will probably involve political pressure and advocacy. So like the old cowboy once said, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. People with migraine must regroup, speak up, organize and get things done. If you want to act, go to our website at migrainecanada.org and sign our petition. By doing so, you will be supporting us. Spread the word, encourage others to sign. If you would like to volunteer, look at our volunteer section. If you are looking for a headache clinic, we will offer a headache clinic locator that will be launched in the summer of 2021. My friends, there is hope ahead. And as Maya said, do not give up. Migraine Canada is a not-for-profit organization. We improve the lives of Canadians affected by migraine and other headache disorders through awareness, support, education, advocacy, and research. This podcast does not replace a medical advice. Always consult your treating healthcare provider to make any medical decision. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, listen to the 11 others from our 2021 series, available on your favorite platform. Remember that you'll find plenty of additional information on MigraineCanada.org. Is there a topic you'd like to hear about in the future? If you have suggestions or feel like sharing your thoughts, please email us at info at MigraineCanada.org and don't forget to check our website. We'd love to hear from you. 